1: We can't escape seeing all of the people coming to the rescue these days, whether it's the doctors, nurses, and other hospital staff on the front line, or grocery clerks, postal workers, and the folks fulfilling orders at Amazon. There are so many people making an impact in this important time. I'm Patrice Socora with Laura Gregg and David Partain of FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds. In this Flexible Advisor podcast, they look at the financial advisory community and the people helping everyone through this
2: hello and welcome to the flexible advisor podcast you know behavioral finance is always a sought after topic by advisors It has been for all of the years that i've been in this industry which are many because we really want to be able to understand how to deal with our clients emotions so that we can help them stay on the right track without jeopardizing our relationship that we have with them And of course, now more than ever, understanding the emotions that are driving your clients and their investment preferences is critical. And there are so many emotions intersecting one another these days. Health concerns, employment issues, an uncertain market, unplanned work from home arrangements. And all of these are really taking a toll on people.
1: Yeah, Laura, I totally agree with you. I I think I've come up with a new line of therapy called compartmentalization therapy, where you are dealing with work is home and home is work, and you can't decide between the two. Last night, for instance, woke up at 1230 and thought, huh, I got some work to do. And I went down and actually worked for a couple hours in the dead of night. When your office is your home, those type of things just happen. So there are so many of those type of issues that are going on around the country, not just in our industry.
2: Yeah, and while it feels like we've made it, we hope, knock on wood, through the worst of the market's reaction, we're still seeing volatility continue to persist and we're navigating such uncharted waters. So with all this uncertainty, how can you have productive conversations with your clients to keep them on track? Well, today we are gonna talk about that with Dr. Sarah Newcomb, who is Director of Behavioral Science at Morningstar. So excited to have Sarah on today. Sarah works to incorporate the findings of academic research into tools that can really help people make better long-term financial decisions her work on the psychology of money management has earned her mentions in the new york times the wall street journal forbes and other notable media outlets and she is a regular contributor for morningstar investment news psychology today and author of loaded money psychology and how to get ahead without leaving your values behind Sarah, we have a lot to cover today, and I just wanted to welcome you to the Flexible Advisor Podcast. Thanks for being here.
3: Thank you so much. It's great to be here.
1: Okay, Sarah, this is such a strange time for all of us, including me waking up in the middle of the freaking night, (laughs) being quarantined, working from home, watching the markets go up, down, up, down. I know you have to be hearing from advisors. How are they doing?
3: I'm hearing a lot from advisors. We've been getting a lot of demand for podcasts and for more than ever really uh, wanting to know about how to help people navigate through their emotions. I've been really impressed with the positivity that I've seen from and heard from a lot of the advisors that I've had contact with over the last couple of months. But I think in general, how are they doing? I mean, it's, it's difficult to, these are, these are those moments. I think of this as the musical montage in the movie life of a financial advisor. These are the moments you train for. This is the sweat and tears part of the job, but that's the sweat and tears part. It's hard. It's hard to have so many people whose whose livelihoods and whose hopes and dreams are somewhat connected to your decision making questioning you questioning themselves and and on top of it you you depend on them for your own livelihood and that is a lot of pressure i think that because this extended period of uncertainty is something that if you haven't been through a major crisis before it can be very unnerving, but extended uncertainty is something that none of us are conditioned to enjoy. (laughs) So it's, it's testing everyone and that advisors are having to coach their clients through it when they have their own uncertainty. It's not easy. And I think that advisors, my sense of how advisors are doing is advisors are doing a great job of really trying to help their clients stay focused on what really matters to them and not focus their attention on the things that can really encourage emotional and damaging financial decisions.
1: I totally hear where you're coming from. I mean, for myself being in the business over 30 years, I, I just look at this and I tell people, this is a crazy unique time. And one thing I've noticed down through the years, it's always seems to be true is that investors are making decisions based on their emotions. I'm assuming this is only being amplified as we navigate through this pandemic. Do you think that's the case?
3: Absolutely. I think amplifying emotions is such a great way of describing what's happening. Crises reveal, any kind of crisis reveals. It's a stress test on our coping mechanisms. It's a stress test on our solvency. It's a stress test on our long-term resolve, but it also, stress brings with it emotions. And I think often we think about, when I think about money and psychology, I think about how money, some people think money changes people. I think money turns up the volume on what was already there. And in this case, the fear of scarcity is turning up the volume on a lot of people's fears, a lot of people's what-if scenarios, and a lot of people's desires and and risk-seeking behavior so what we're seeing is it's not that everyone is responding in the same way but there's people are having very strong emotional responses to fear and uncertainty and that kind of takes a few different forms
2: Uh, I've listened to a couple webinars that you've been on recently, and, you know, I mean, there's so much science behind this topic, but I love when you really get into talking about the emotions, and if I'm remembering this correctly, you, you identified like three types or three key characteristics of different emotions. Can you maybe talk about some of those?
3: I think it's really important for us to, in times where there are so many moving pieces like right now, we want to understand, we want some sort of certainty to hold on to. And it's such such a universal characteristic of the human mind to want to understand our environment, to want to be able to make some predictions, some some sense of being able to tell what's going to happen. We want certainty. And when we can't get that, we our brains go into sort of an overdrive and it, is very taxing i uh, you may notice that you're more tired than usual that may be the specific that may be simply the the fact that your brain can't land on anything to feel secure and it's it's an exhausting mental place to be in when you can't predict what's going to happen next week you can't predict what's going to happen in 10 years and it drains us it drains our resources our mental and cognitive and emotional resources and, and it leads to some pretty strong reactions. But uncertainty and specifically the fear response to uncertainty. Let me just put it this way. We have, we have a few specific reactions to uncertainty and especially to prolonged uncertainty that we're seeing. Let's replace uncertainty for the moment with fear. Fear mm-hmm. is is generally the the flight response that people will have we there's the fight flight and freeze response that we have when faced with a threat or i would say when i would say that our brains are translating this uncertainty as kind of a threat so not to get too technical but when we're faced with something we don't understand we can't predict and we think might go badly for us fight, flight, or freeze. And how that translates into financial decision-making right now is that some people take that fight attitude. That's the people who who see the market go down and they're not running out, they're running in. They're like, this is the moment, let me at it. I was born for this, give me all the stock in, in that company I just read about on Google because I'm sure that's the future. I know some of those people. <laughs> <laughs> right, right? And it's not to say that running into the fray is a bad thing. That's a contrarian investment strategy, and it has merit. It's not to say that running into it is the wrong decision, but we have to be careful because running into the fray and it, what what's happening in many cases is risk-seeking behavior it's fear of missing out. It's, I want to, I want to get in on things when they're low. And we, what we have to be careful of is that what's actually happening right there is a whole bunch of adrenaline flowing through your body and your brain. That's what chemically is happening. Your, the flight, uh, the fight response is adrenaline fueled. Adrenaline can be awesome and it can also, really hurt our decision making that's something advisors need to be on the lookout for and we can talk about that in a little bit more depth but that's one thing fight is thinking about risk seeking that's kind of the allegory is the risk seeking behavior the one that the 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 people who are all about the hot tips right now and ready to put their entire life savings into some company they didn't know about 2 weeks ago that's the risk-seeking extreme behavior. Then you've you've got the flight response, which is the more stereotypical, the people who want to pull out, and then you've got the freeze response, which is the people who can't decide what to do, and and that may be okay in a moment if you don't in this moment, if the if the real thing for them to do is nothing, but. Freezing can be a problem if you're missing out, if you have money that you could be taking advantage of objectively good investments that you're missing out on now because you're frozen.
2: Sarah, I think all of those uh, personalities or those uh, characteristics that you just mentioned, I know going through my head, I'm seeing certain people that fit those attributes but let's talk about the investor that maybe has a little FOMO going on, the fear of missing out. They want to jump right in and take advantage of the volatility that we're seeing, the decline. Perhaps they saw the rapid rise of zoom early on and they missed out and they didn't like missing out on that. And so they're really pushing their advisors to find other single stocks that are going to catapult very high based on stuff going on with the pandemic how can advisors adequately address those emotions, maybe tamp them down so that they keep their investors on the right track and don't let them make some, some mistakes that they'll regret later?
3: I think one of the key things there is, is in what you said, one was single stocks and the other is FOMO. And both of those things, I think, can be sort of red flags to advisors that perhaps the financial literacy of this investment of this investor is not as high as they think it is or as it may need to be. And so I think that there's a lot to being able to encourage that desire to jump into the fray because it is scary. And we do want people to take advantage of great investment opportunities when they're on sale. So definitely saying, great. Oh, so you want to go and you want to get into Zoom? Great. Let's talk about telecommunications. Let's talk about what expanding your... Let's talk about how expanding your portfolio a little bit to include some more of that type of business might fit with your long-term strategy. And in that way, you're able to take the, the courage and the excitement of the adrenaline rush that says hey i've got some cash on hand let's go find some good deals but you're able to temper it by by rather than saying no don't do that or are you crazy or getting <laughs> even even getting into the details of why why one particular company over another company it's a good opportunity to start to open their eyes to the reality that there is a difference although it can be hard to tell there's a difference between long term value investing and short term speculating, and understanding the difference and when to employ each strategy is important. I think a lot of people simply don't understand the basic mechanics of different time frames for different financial goals and that. That depending on your time frame, when do you need to use the money? When do you want the money to be available? Depending on that time frame, you may take a different long-term or short-term or mid-term investment strategy and expose yourself to a different amount of risk. It can be a great conversation opener to get them to really start to see a little bit more clearly what long-term investing is about so that then they can ask themselves and you can have a deeper conversation about what opportunities do we see right now? Why would you be buying Zoom? What is it about telecommunicating that you think is especially valuable right now? Because the goal should never be, I wanna buy the next big thing before it becomes a big thing because I got lucky. It's all about, understanding is all about reducing the amount of luck. But if they're asking you to crystal ball on a specific company, that's a conversation you want to be able to help them steer away from and get them to understand that they. it's fine. It's fine to speculate on one stock, but don't ever do that with money that you can't afford to lose. And opening that conversation to help them understand why individual stocks aren't maybe the best investment when if you're looking at money that you need in the next five to 10 years, for example. Maybe you'd wanna look at funds. What's the advantage of funds? The whole point being embrace the enthusiasm, embrace the the fact that they want to learn right now. They're all excited about what makes something a good long-term opportunity. And no, you don't need to teach them modern portfolio theory or fundamental analysis but you could help them understand something as basic as a fair value estimate and how to be able to tell when when the basic value the underlying value of an asset is being undervalued or overvalued by the market and what that means i think that getting people who are hungry to take risk right now and hungry to grow their assets trying to channel that into greater understanding, not don't take risk, but understand risk better. At least they're willing to learn about it now, so you might as well try to have that conversation.
2: You made so many great points. And at the top of that, you mentioned financial literacy and people's inherent belief in their investment knowledge. We did, and I don't think you're aware of this, Sarah, but we did a survey of high net worth primary breadwinner investors last year, and they were all very confident. We kind of broke things down along gender lines. We wanted to understand a bit about that, but nearly all of them rated themselves between an eight and a 10 in terms of their investment knowledge. Men rated, 44% of them rated themselves a a perfect 10, what we categorized as expert. And so, you know, when David and I are out talking about this research, we always say to our advisor audience, we don't know if that's a good thing that you've got so many experts that you're managing money for or not. And, you know, I, <laughs> oh, I just, oh, yeah, I just yeah. think you erase so many great points. We try to counsel the advisors based on that survey, that study. Make sure you're talking, you know, you never want to be confrontational with your clients, of course, but when when they rate themselves a perfect 10, talk to them. Why are mm-hmm. we working together? Mm-hmm. Why did you mm-hmm. decide not to manage your portfolio? What was your go-to equity research tool? And just just kind of go in and and ask questions that that are not be rating in any way, but just help you pull out the knowledge about what right. their true knowledge is. And yeah. hopefully they I mean, start to understand yeah.
3: that. And the funny thing of the reason why it makes me chuckle when you talk when you're saying about those responses is not that I think people are are not intelligent when it comes to money management. I just think that it's been proven over and over again how how little people truly understand just the basics workings of even simple interest, let alone compound interest, or the difference between a stock and a fund. And it's not a lack of intelligence; these are incredibly smart people who are experts in their field, but they simply haven't either, they either haven't studied finance or it's just not their thing. And yet we think that because money involves numbers, that if you're smart, you should just be good at it. I just think we, we're all wrong about that. People don't understand how little they know. And I do think that even within the financial advice industry, people don't talk about how little they know. Because why would you, right? I mean, nobody likes to walk around saying, hey, I don't know the difference between a bond and, a, and an annuity, but I, I, I sure am going to question my advisor when they tell me, funny to see how little we know ourselves. But at the same time, I think it's important from an advisor standpoint to understand, to be able to say okay, there are certain personality types that lend themselves to that. There are certain people in certain frames of mind that are going to be more or less open to your counseling. But when you see that kind of overconfidence in a client, recognizing it, recognizing that we're all very predisposed to it, and then understanding, okay, how can you take that Overconfidence in their ability to pick the right investment now, and keep them from taking the whole train off the track. And I think in in many cases, whether the whether it's that the person wants to take all their money out or put all their money into speculative investments, one of the best things that an advisor can do right now is even just sort of guardrail. Say, sure, you can buy your pet stock. Let's talk about a percentage that you can put into speculative investments right now. It's not about saying I want to go all in. It's about, okay, let's let's protect your long term. Let's look and make sure that the long-term investment strategy still makes sense. Even now that you think there are fundamental changes to the economy, let's talk about what that might mean for your overall long-term investment strategy. But that's very different from, I want to go and buy a thousand shares of a company I didn't know about a week ago.
2: Right. And it also gives them the opportunity on their virtual and hopefully someday soon, real cocktail party to talk yeah. about the, the, the single stock that they bought. And yeah. you know, I need and to and mention it, it was a
3: small portion. It is fun. And I think that that's one thing that we don't talk enough about when we talk about this is we think, well, there's this right strategy. You must buy and hold and don't ever have any fun. Don't ever speculate. Of course, speculate. Of course, have fun. With a responsible portion of your money, you can you can make all the all the long shot bets you want because it is fun and for some people it's more than fun for some people that's that's they go overboard and that's where you have to rein them in
2: let's go to the other end of the spectrum the people that that think they're being that that are so cautious they're actually potentially hurting their long-term prospects where they maybe they called in right as the stock market was start, starting to decline February and March and said move me to cash and hopefully advisors didn't do that I'm, I'm sure they right,
3: but didn't right for now the most part. right now people are still saying oh there's a there's going to be a double bottom and there may be the fact is that nobody knows and i think that that's the thing that we have to focus on is if somebody is coming and saying I need you to get me out now I can't afford to lose more I need to I need if they're if you're hearing words like safe and just in case then you've got someone who's really motivated by fear right now really afraid and the uncertainty is really really uncomfortable.
2: Any suggestions for advisors on how to approach those conversations being of course respectful of the concern but also does it go back to education
3: again? I think in so many ways it does. I think in one in one case, the basic thing you want to you want to focus on is the client's goal, that, reminding them that first of all, the stock market is not the economy. Second of all, the stock market is not your portfolio. And third of all, the stock market today is not, the stock market at the point at the end point of your goal timeline. If you have 25 years left in your goal timeline, what the stock market doing to, is doing today is far less relevant than what it will be doing five years before you need that money. If you were if you're planning to retire next year, then I I do have to question if you had a huge beta Why? And if someone is just so sensitive to any loss at all, then you need to talk about the realities that even a really, really well-crafted portfolio will lose money 30% of the time on average will sometimes lose a significant amount of money. It's not about did a storm hit? Is another storm coming? It really is about what did you build the building out of? And again, it's an opportunity to go back to why did we invest in this way in the first place? What was the long-term strategy? And has anything fundamental changed about that long-term strategy? That's staying focused on what their goals are, what their timeline is, what their specific holdings are. And if anything has changed about their goals or really significantly, are they super off track now in the progress toward their goals or is it likely that they can still make it there? Adjusting goals is I think a more appropriate, adjusting goals and expectations is a more appropriate place for a client to be putting their attention than predicting what the market is going to do over the next six months to a year. I think that's fairly useless in terms in terms of your probability of being correct and being able to come up with good solutions. Focusing on how much has does this really change the picture of the life that we're trying to support for you is that a fun has that fundamentally changed has anything fundamentally changed about the assumptions that we made when we put this long-term strategy in place if the answer to that is yes then go back and examine the fundamental changes that have that have been made but we i think what ultimately is happening right now is because it all goes back to uncertainty because we can't predict what's going to happen next week. We have lost sight of the fact that we actually can kind of predict what's going to happen in 20 years.
1: So Sarah, I know in 2008, I drove up to my driveway. My father-in-law was waiting in the driveway and he looked at me and he said, so what should I sell now? And I, I wasn't (laughs) his, I wasn't his advisor. So I just said, I wouldn't sell anything right now. I would just hold on for the long run. You're looking to retire in a short order. I actually would just hold, hold the course. But we know a lot of people went to full cash. And so when you talk about a deer in the headlights and fear of getting back in the market, is that what you're referring to?
3: Uh, That can be it. I mean, the the fear of getting back into the market can be, yeah, people who have decided or that they've been waiting. I know some people who they've been sitting on cash and now they're like, oh, oh, maybe now it's my time. But they don't know when to get in because they don't know, is it going down further? Should I wait? Or should I get in now? And ultimately, I think this is such a great opportunity to help people understand that the real question that they need to ask when it comes to, is an asset worth buying? Is the price of this asset today worth what I would have to pay for it? The answer is, okay, let me put it this way. Is this a good price? That's the question you want to ask when considering buying an asset, whether it's a stock, whether it's a bond, whether it's a fund of some sort, whether it's a home, you want to ask whether it's uh, any other thing that you buy, any product, you want to ask yourself, is this worth the price I'm paying? The, is this a good price for this product? And I think then it comes, the question we have to ask is compared to what? Is today's market price a good price compared to what? Compared to what it will be tomorrow? I don't know. Compared to what it might be in five years? Well, how might you figure that out? You look at the fundamental value of the underlying company. That's what ratings and analysis and financial advisors are for to translate the the truth to be able to say this is a good investment because it's selling at or below the fundamental value of it why would you sell things when everything is on sale? when when everything can only sell at a on sale that's the time to buy things not to sell them you want to buy things when they're on sale and sell them when they're not on sale that's the basic idea between buy a uh, behind buying low and selling high but somehow when it comes to something these i think it's because stocks and bonds and other types of capital investments feel abstract to people that we don't think of them like products what matters is what's the real value of the products you're buying and selling and how are you getting that information that's what matters and what are your goals and the rest of it is noise. It's very compelling noise, and it's very scary noise at times, but it's ultimately noise. That is really helpful
2: for advisors, and I think for me as an investor to consider, because we, we do evaluate things differently, I think, in our minds, but let's let's talk about the advisors. These conversations have to be very difficult to navigate in many cases, as well as navigating advisors' personal lives and the pandemic and all of the stuff that they're dealing with. What should advisors be doing proactively to make sure that they're in a state where they can truly continue helping their clients through this uncertainty that we don't know how long it's going to last?
3: Yeah, I think it's a great question. I think that we need to remember that expertise is not enough. Our brains are living organisms that need sleep, exercise, good nutrition, routine, love and affection, and all the things that make, that make them run and purr like the well-oiled machines they can be. And taking care of your mental and emotional state as an advisor right now, getting enough sleep, getting sunshine, getting exercise, that may be the best thing you can do for your clients. And I I don't mean to be trite when I say that. Your decision-making will be affected by your own stress, your own cortisol and adrenaline levels, your own ability to... Handle the stress of the uncertainty in your own life. And so self care is really, really important, I think, for advisors right now, for everybody, but for advisors right now. I also think reminding yourself as an advisor that your job is not to change who people are, you don't need to make all of your investors or all of your clients perfect investors you don't need to make them all have rational decisions you can with some of them help guide them steer them away from mistakes and some of that is just going to be about recognizing when when they're being emotionally motivated And then testing the waters are, if you were to, I think one of the best things you can do, whether someone is, has a fight, flight, or freeze response, you can, with all of those cases, you can present to them the idea of taking a portion of their portfolio and either selling that, putting that in safer assets or speculating with it or just freezing it. But The point being that you can let them have the emotional response and do the action that they feel so compelled to do if necessary with a small portion. And in that way, you're minimizing the damaging effects of the emotions while still allowing them to have their place and to have some expression in the client's financial life. And sometimes it's compromise. You can't let the perfect investment strategy be the enemy of the good investment strategy. You don't want to lose them as a client. You don't want them to just take the wheel and and put 100% in the next big, what they think is the next big thing. So just mitigating the, the extent of the damage they do by allowing them to do whatever they want with a small portion of their money while you keep the rest in the long-term strategy is one way that you can sort of help them to help yourself not feel like you need to get them to the perfect decision or else you've failed somehow. Some people will not be open. I, I think that a lot of it too is just remembering that you may know the best thing for them all to do with their money and some people you're going to be able to help walk them away from the edge and some you're not and that's not your failure. It's okay.
2: And those are some fantastic takeaways, I think, for advisors with investors and also, I think, in our personal lives, our personal relationships as well. We do the best that we can. We try to guide, and then we have to we have to move on and let people do what they're going to do. But, mm-hmm. Sarah, I, I so appreciate your joining us today. This was a great discussion. I feel like we could have gone on forever. <laughs> but thank you again for your support of the Flexible Advisor podcast. I'll be listening to you as you come through my email box on on future webcasts, and we'd love to have you back on and get your thoughts about what things look like on the other side of this
3: uncertainty. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, David.
0: Thank you for listening to the Flexible Advisor Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds or Northern Trust. All investments involve risk, including possible loss of principal. Before investing, carefully consider the FlexShares investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This and other information is in the prospectus and a summary prospectus, copies of which may be obtained by visiting www.flexshares.com. Read the prospectus carefully before you invest. Foreside Fund Services, LLC Distributor. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Although we attempt to keep the information complete and current, we do not warrant that the content herein is accurate, complete, or current. We make no commitment to update the content herein. It is your responsibility to verify any information before relying on it. The content of this podcast may include technical inaccuracies. We may make changes in the products and or services described herein at any time. We provide you this information with the understanding that we are not rendering accounting, legal or tax advice. Please consult your legal or tax advisor concerning such matters.